Heavenly Father, we uh, ask your presence this morning as we go through your word, Lord, that you would uh, draw out what it is that you want us to hear, Lord. Father, I pray that you would use me as your conduit, Lord, that we would have uh, a feast over your word, Lord. There's so much truth here. You have blessed us with this book of Ruth. We are grateful for you and for all that you do through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We have made it through chapter 1 and had just uh, got our foot in the door with chapter 2. We read the first verse. I will repeat it. Just a little recap. Uh, in chapter 1, we had the family of Elimelech that went down to Moab to seek what they needed from the world. Uh, Elimelech uh, dies pretty soon after they get there. The sons uh, take Moab wives, and after 10 years, uh, they die. And so we were left with three widows, one with no sons and two that were childless. Uh, the one widow, Orpah, decides to stay in Moab where she can get another husband or go on with her life there. The other widow, Ruth, decides to, uh, to go with Naomi. She, she commits herself, she dedicates herself to Naomi in just a beautiful soliloquy that we read and went through last week. And she is uh, claiming the Lord God of Israel in doing so. And uh, that chapter ends on a high note where they come uh, into, uh, back to Bethlehem, high note in that it is the beginning of the barley season. And so there is a glimmer that we were left with. So we, got, we read uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 last week. And in that we are, uh, verse, we're introduced to the hero of our story, uh, the one who prefigures Jesus Christ. That is Boaz, and we hear that he is a kinsman. He's a relative. He's in the same clan as Elimelech. That means that there would be some social and family responsibilities that would extend to him. This is an important point that will be repeated. And then we were also told that he was a man, it said of great wealth, he's a man of high ill. He has great qualities. He has characters. And uh, basically, we were told that his reputation precedes him. Quite a guy. We'll see. Now, as we start to go into the book, we have then these two widows. They are, uh, they are in Bethlehem. They have two major needs, though, two very great needs. They need food, and they need family, which would be in the sense of security and provision. They need family in the sense of extending Elimelech's name so that it's not lost here. So there would be a perpetuity of that family name. They need these things. I want us to see as we begin to go through chapter 2, uh, two things. I want us to see law and I want us to see side-by-side -side grace. And I want us to look at those and to see uh, if there's any comparison to be made. So let's pick up in verse 2, chapter 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one, that is, after anyone, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her daughter, uh, she said, go, go, my daughter. Immediately we notice that Ruth is really very polite, isn't she? Uh, she wants to go to the fields and she wants to glean. 
Remember, this is the time of the barley harvest. Um, she wants to follow the, the harvesters. Gleaning is a little different from reaping. Reaping is where you go through on the virgin crop and, and you just pick the grains and the sheaves and all that. Uh, reaping is basically, excuse me, gleaning is then coming after that process uh, to whatever is left. Uh, and it's really hard work. And we would uh, recall then in chapter 1, Ruth having told Naomi that she, that she said, where you go, I will go, which means where you go, I will follow. And we said then that it was more than just a trip in to Israel, but she plans to follow her guidance as they go forth. And we'll see in the book that she follows uh, uh, Naomi's cue. So let me ask, where in the world did Ruth get this idea that she could go in and glean barley fields, that that would be allowed? Um, it seems that she's done her homework. In the books of Moses, we have the law. And uh, there are three main passages. And I uh, thought I heard somebody. And we can find those in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. And I'd like us to really look at those for a minute uh, as we go forward. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, it says, Now, when you read, this is to the landowner, this is to the farmer. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. That means don't make a second pass through it. Just go through it once. Don't touch the corners and don't come back and reap it again. Nor shall you glean your vineyard. So it applies to the grapes as well. Nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for these two, the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Again, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. Again, don't go through it a second time. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. And finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 19, it says, When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. A blessing. So we see in God's programs that He has made a provision for, for needy in, in, in at least four categories, the poor, the needy, the foreigner, the alien, the widow, and the orphan. All were to benefit from this. So Ruth understood that she and Naomi were both poor and widows. And further, that Ruth is a foreigner coming from Moab. And so it is that God has his own welfare system to take care of the needy. The farmers were to literally cut corners. How do you think this compares with our system of provision that we provide for welfare? in our country. Any benefits, any, you know, better, worse, what do you think? I think the, the first thing that strikes me, and I've read this before, but I never really thought about it in this way, that there wouldn't necessarily be a concept of trespassing then, at least during harvest season, because they're supposed to go out and get it. But then it's also this picture of, like, the Lord has provided. You're going to have to stoop and pick it up, though. Very good. Yeah, the Lord, like our system, you have to exert some effort instead of just got you. around the couch. Got you. Check. 
And not only that, but there was the concept of, it's like when Jesus and the disciples are walking through the grain fields and, and they're picking the heads of grain. And, right. You know, that's a, right now, this is what, it's not, I'm going to grab a bunch and go sell it. It's, you know, this provision at this moment. Right. They'd be lucky probably to get a day or two's worth of grain in this process, the way it's laid out in the law. This is difficult. I came up with a few things that kind of make it uh, more appealing than what we have in place, I think. I think, number one, that it, it maintains the dignity of the gleaner, the poor person. It's not a handout. It's not a handout. And the... Uh, the, the landowner, the farmer, it's, it comes with a blessing. We read that in Deuteronomy right there. It encourages generosity, doesn't it? And it leaves people satisfied on both sides of the deal. You know, and, point, a lot of the blessing is for those who glean to be able to do that work, to be able to have an opportunity to, to show you know, that they're at that work. Paul says for the, the dignity of the person gleaning. Uh, you know, to be able to do that, it's satisfying to do work. Yes, it's hard work, and yes, it's menial work, but uh, it's, a, it's a good system that God has in place. And with this system, though, just as you said, Jay, He expects obedient response. In other words, He has made the blessings available. Uh, the crops are there. You need to go get it. He, he, he doesn't coddle the lazy in this process. I think it's similar to what Paul said to the Thessalonians in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, for even, I have to check to see if it's there, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. You know, this system is really pretty good. Uh, I've read estimates that there would be anywhere from 25 to 30% of the field would uh, being left to glean. Quite a good, quite a good uh, amount there for the poor. You know, you have to, if you picture what's going on there, the topography of the land uh, was such that the cities were normally built up on a hill, uh, you know, above, and that the fields would then be in the lower areas in the valleys. So that from the cities you'd be able to sell, yes, Porter, Very good. So uh, the good comparison would be with where we live, you know, here. That, but you would build high and you could see down low. So uh, I took a little artistic license, okay? And uh, I tried to draw what maybe this might look like from an elevated position, a typical field. I know there are multiple ways to cut out corners, but basically I just wanted to give a general idea of what, what could be pr provided for. And so then this would be one place one possibility for a place where all in need could come and God would provide for them. Uh, so let's go on. Any comments? Yes, Sue.
Oh, beautiful. I think we're going to, that very point you're making, what did you call it? It starts with a T? Talit. Okay, this corner, it equates some, in some scripture with, with the prayer shawl, but it also can be used as uh, uh, interchangeably with wings. And we're going to see those, those terms kind of used as we go through here, so that's really pretty good. Um, so then let's move on. Yes. Yes, Leah. Very good. God's system then had, it takes the middleman out. We don't have to go through the government. The, the landowner had the rule over the, over the disbursement of his gleanings. Penny. The second Thessalonians that you have up there, I use with my kids. They didn't do their chores. <laughs> <It's>, uh, it works. <laughs> it's good advice. Jay. Got it. Very good points, all. One, one more thought. Um, for the landowner, the landowner had the opportunity to obey or disobey. You know, rather than t things being taken from him, he, he could obey and reap the blessings. He could disobey, and whether whatever God's timing for him to reap the discipline was up to God. But... You know, there was that opportunity rather than just saying, Jack, I'm going to take stuff from you and give it to somebody else. Right. You have the opportunity to, to be obedient or not to what the Lord's intended. Very good. So, and I would say uh, that it would be evident as well. If he had no gleaners in his field, he'd be like, man, that guy's a codger, you know. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's, it, there's a bit of shame associated with that. He's not generous. Miserly. And God's, you know, He says, "I'm the one who gives the gives the um, increase, you know, and I'm the one who blesses. I'm the Lord of the harvest, you know." Right. So, yeah. This is a godly uh, means of provision. I, Jeff actually made the point that I was thinking about, but just how much the the uh, landowner has to trust the Lord. If it's a good year, or if it's a not so. That's good, right. Right. This year, so I'm going to actually take it all because I need seed for next right. year. He can't do that. That's right. It forces us. It brings the trust up. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. All right. Uh, verse 3, chapter 2. So she departed, this is uh, Ruth, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Again, we're reminded of Boaz and his relationship 
She just happens to come forward. She's moving in obedience to her rights under the Mosaic law, and she ends up in one of the fields of Boaz. What a great stroke of luck. <laughs> what a coincidence. Uh, you know, it's like just a roll of the dice, you know. Uh, what a chance. You know, the word happened there is, is uh, translated chanced, chanced upon. So this just happened to happen for her. So if you'd asked Ruth, do you think that she would have said it was just happenstance? Or was there some leading that she had? What do you think she'd have said? Anyone? Probably she'd have said, I just went where they were gleaning and went on in there. You know, uh, this idea of chance and luck. Uh, Jeff, when you were teaching Ecclesiastes, we came across that in there. Uh, in Ecclesiastes uh, 9, verse 11. You know, it's, it's kind of the view of the person who looks at life on the planet apart from God, that is, under the sun. Without God, yeah, it can look like chance. Listen, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Solomon said that. And yet he said a little later in Proverbs, we may throw the dice, Proverbs 16, 33. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. How true. So it is. Uh, really, you know, there are... I had two main reasons, but I'm just going to go over one. Two main reasons why I, I, I'm pretty certain that this wouldn't a chance happening. Uh, Ruth choosing Boaz Field, not a coincidence. One of them is that the main purpose, or one of the main purposes of the entire book is to demonstrate God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. He is in control. And Ruth's choice is really no exception. You know, when we were reading chapter 1, uh, we saw his sovereignty, and it was allowing a lot of things that looked like tragedy to, to me as I was reading it. And all the while, God is setting up the stage for an ultimate triumph, and we're starting to see it to happen. Beginning in chapter 2, you know, nothing happens by accident in God's economy. Uh, Ephesians 1.11 affirms that God, according to His purpose, works all things after the counsel of His will. In Romans 8.28, we all know that, right? Further states that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him. As a new believer, Ruth loves him. You know, and God didn't take naps. He didn't check out, you know, for a little rest and relaxation, uh, especially in regards to his people. Psalm 121, verses 4 through 8 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night, the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And so for those reasons, I believe this was not. I, I believe the Holy Spirit was directing the, the entire scene. But if someone did believe this was uh, just a chance happening, they really are going to love the next verse because it says, Now behold, chapter 2, verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. 
And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. So it is. Boaz now, he just happens to come along from Bethlehem just about the right time and just to the right one of his fields. And he finds Ruth there gleaning. I love the way this chapter, too, is right away begins to reveal the quality of character and the attitudes of Boaz and, and Ruth, and later we'll see of Naomi as well. This story, and I've said this already before, it just stands out against the backdrop of the times in which these people were living, the times of the judges. What can we determine about Boaz from the verbal exchange that he has with his reapers, his hired workers? Anything? The relationship there is pretty unusual to start out. The, fir the first words out of his mouth, <laughs> and immediately we know he has a relationship with God. What a bold position to be, right? And his workers know he does, and they give it right back to him. What a lovely exchange we have here. The language of faith, right? But you have to be careful, right, in the day in which we live, for sure, because uh, sometimes people say things and, and their works, their actions don't necessarily match up. So we need to watch Boaz. But I give you a heads up, he's not going to disappoint us. In fact, you know, as a prefigure of Christ, we should really listen to the exchanges that he has with everybody. And we start to gain an insight into the character of God. And I think from Ruth as well. All right. Verses 5 through 7. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, his foreman, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she's the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. So we see directly Boaz's interest in Ruth is evident, right? His question about her is actually more like, wow. <laughs> who is her father or who is her husband? He's trying to get a little information. Whose clan does she belong to? Which family? And just by understanding the culture, we should begin to pick up on uh, some drama that may be getting, beginning to be set up, some tension even that can develop out of this uh, with the, the important landowner asking about the uh, gleaner in his field. I think his foreman also gives a thorough and I believe a, a pretty honest answer to his question. The fact that the foreman identifies Ruth as a Moabitist who returned with Naomi lets us know something, that the city of Bethlehem has probably been buzzing about these two, Naomi and Ruth. And as we're going to see, the word on the street has been pretty positive, especially regarding Ruth. Don't you just enjoy the person that we're coming to, beginning to see in Ruth now? Once again, you know, she doesn't presume anything. I think last week I said she, pro she approaches by grace. She, she comes into the room by grace. Uh, she asks the foreman permission to glean. Paul. Yeah, Jack, what I, I think is really indicative of her is like Jesus used to talk about the childlike innocence and how he loved that. And that seems, even though she's an adult, she has that childlike trust and innocence. Check. 
childlike trust, childlike faith, right? This is what the Lord requires, too. She's untainted, you know, with all uh, the things that can begin to uh, drag us down as we become mature Christians, let's say. She has that still, that quality about her, I agree. But she, she asked the farmer permission to, to, to glean. This is not a prerequisite of the, of the Mosaic Law. She just does it. She doesn't demand her rights under the law. She's exceptional, as we'll see. Now, the foreman also tells Boaz that she has been there early, and she's been working steadily, only stopping for a short while to rest. Um, so his assessment is, is that this Moabitess woman, she is uh, energetic, and she's a diligent worker. You know, we can be sure she's caught the attention of Boaz. And if I didn't mention it, she's most likely drop-dead gorgeous on top of everything. That's what her name means, beauty. Uh, so now Boaz, in the next uh, three verses, he's going to go over to speak to Ruth. This is a big deal, okay? Sometimes we don't, from our cultural standpoint, don't really see it. But this is really a big deal. We have the, the important landowner, landowner, and he's going to be walking over to some woman, a, a Moabite widow who's gleaning in his field. So let's turn to that. Chapter 2, verses 8 to th through 10. Then Moaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? There are two groups of workers out here that we should realize. Boaz, they're probably these, these contract groups of reapers that go around. They were probably shared to some extent. And then he has his own servants. The, reap, the servants, uh, uh, the reapers, are males mostly. And the, the, his maid servants are, of course, women. So we have those two groups that are working. He, he, he addresses her first as daughter. And I think from that we understand right off the bat that there's an age difference in these two people. You know, just guessing, but by his standing in the community and level of prosperity, that probably would put Boaz in his late 40s and early to mid 50s, something like that. Much closer in age to Naomi, let us say. Ruth is probably younger than 30 at this point. And then Boaz kind of goes into his male protective role or mode. When he tells Ruth, he tells her three things. He says, first, not to glean elsewhere but to, secondly, to stay in his field. That word for stay, we've seen it already once in this book, in chapter 1, uh, verse 14, when it said, Ruth clung to Naomi. She is to stay. She is to cling to that field. And then the third thing is that uh, she should follow his maids, go where they go. And he, re he means for the re remainder of the barley harvest and on into and through the wheat harvest, which we'll be following. So we're talking about two to three months of, uh, of gleaning and reaping here. So let me just kind of put this in a summary statement uh, to capture what, what he's saying. He's saying uh, to be provided for, to be protected, protected. 
and to have an abundant supply. All Ruth needed to do was to stay in Boaz's field, just to stay there. This makes me think of Naomi and Elimelech in chapter 1. And I think Naomi has learned that lesson the hard way when they went to Moab seeking provisions from the world. There has to be application here for Christians too. Um, Matthew 6, uh, verses 31 through 33, Jesus spoke to the disciples saying, uh, Do not worry, then saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, that is the pagans, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom. Stay in my field. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So Boaz has commanded his servants, meaning his male servants, uh, not to lay a hand on Ruth. And later on we're going to see he tells them not to rebuke her verbally either uh, or talk to her in disrespect. When Ruth gets thirsty, she's told to drink from the water jars that his male Jewish servants have uh, drawn. You know, let me just stop for a minute. We don't realize how shocking this is, okay? We have uh, the landowner talking to the gleaner. We have him telling her to drink from jars that men have drawn from, from for her to drink. This is, this is just knocking down the cultural barriers left and right. Jews, uh, the, the men didn't serve the women. It's the other way around. Uh, the foreigners didn't get served by Jews. It was the other way around. I mean, the landowner didn't go down to the level to speak. This is all shocking, all right? And Ruth gets it. Uh, she understands what's going on so that in verse 10, we see that she's having difficulty understanding why. Why? Why is this happening? The word used is that favor, and that's translated elsewhere in the Old Testament as grace. Her expectations of life, what were her expectations of life going forth in Israel? We've already seen, as, as she was told by Naomi, right? They were, there was to be hardship, poverty, perpetual widowhood and childlessness and exclusion from society, from the Jews. You know, grace amazes on two grand levels, in my opinion. And the first is just by what it is, what, what, it, what it does, what, it, what has been done. And the second is, why is it done? And I think that Ruth is just struck by this. And in astonishment, she just kind of falls on her face in worship before this man. What's happening here, these events that are transpiring are setting up uh, the, just this beautiful dialogue that we're going to see following as we go forward in the, in the chapter in the book. This man, though, is just offering her protection and provision. And this is not what Naomi described. So as we go through the chapter, though, I want you to note something. The number of times that we're going to be reminded about Ruth. Uh, she's a Gentile. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. How is it that Boaz extends such grace to her? How does he do it? How about us? How does God extend such grace to us? You know, Romans 11 speaks, Paul speaks of the wild olive branches being grafted into the natural olive tree, which is Israel, whose root is the Abrahamic covenant. You know, I really get a little weary 
of Christians who uh, view the church as somehow replacing Israel in God's plan, that God has rejected Israel for some reason. You know, the little, the little wild olive branch is telling the tree, I don't need you anymore. And it comes across as very arrogant to me and very, very naive. Uh, God n will never abandon his chosen people. And the, the scripture is full uh, of uh, passages that tell us this is just one. First Samuel chapter 12, verse 22 says, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. That's to Israel. Okay, any comment? Sue? A, a porter? Great. So that's the woman, Samaritan, uh, Samarian woman at the well. Yes, Dan. It says that the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. I think in this case, He was pleased to make Ruth a person for Himself. Uh, Absolutely. And she was loyal. She was aggressive, and I think that she was also very attractive. After the after the story of Abraham and Sarah. Isaac and Rebecca, both of those girls were very beautiful. And yes. Jacob and Rachel. Um, and God had, God's involved in this process. He is. Very much, a, and, he's, and he's establishing a, a line, a family line that leads up to David. This is what he is doing, for sure. You know, we don't see it out in the open, Jeff. Well, it's interesting, and Heather was just Right. Coming to Christ. Oh, well, she blows us away out of the yeah. water. Yes. Right. And of course, we're talking about a human accepting another human. We're talking about God who reaches down and takes us out of our filth. And right. There's a verse about that, too. Yeah. Nothing attractive. Very good. Okay. So, let's see uh, Boaz respond. She's, she's given him a question. Let's see what his response is. Uh, Boaz replied to her, that is to Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, there we have it again, you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not like one of your female servants. So he's responding to her, Boaz, and he's telling her, uh, that he's already heard about her. You know, her reputation has preceded her with him. And he'd heard of her commitment and her sacrifice. Those things speak of a heart, uh, a heart that she had to follow uh, Naomi and that she's chosen to follow the Lord. You know, this is not unlike Jesus knows us before we ever know him. 
He's already got our story, you know. Uh, Boaz's description of Ruth's story indicates that he highly approves and that he's impressed by her strength of character and her loyalty. You know, it's so refreshing. What we're seeing in Ruth is someone committed and faithful, both to Naomi and we're seeing to the Lord as well. And it's all behind the scenes. It's all behind the scenes. But people are still watching, right? In Ruth, there's this rare combination of a person that who is dedicated and loyal without seeking to draw attention to herself. And uh, she's also humble and she's dependent upon grace. And we're going to see that in her relationship going forward with Boaz. Uh, Boaz, uh, you know, has been speaking to her. Many people would have been stirred to pride by what's happening between the landowner and the gleaner here. Many would. And his... uh, but her, in her humility, though, she tells him, I'm not even as high as your lowest maidservant. She sees herself as the lowest rung on the social ladder. That's where her heart is. His blessing over, the, over her, though, is very sincere. I believe, I believe Boaz is convinced that Ruth's faith is true and that she is trusting in the Lord. When he says, uh, under whose wings you have come to, t- to seek res- refuge, it reminds me of when David calls out to God in, in Psalm Uh, 17 verse 8 he says keep me as the apple of the eye hide me in the shadow of your wings you know in in his sovereign power God is actually going to use Boaz to fulfill his own prayer with regard to Ruth and the, the language that we're seeing here is just becoming very majestic very poetic you know for instance when Ruth says you've you've comforted me she tells him she means that his words have really spoken to her soul in a time when she's really in need of that. Uh, and just like Naomi in the first chapter, verse 18, where she was just silent after Ruth spoke, I think that uh, Boaz just kind of goes silent here, and we have a bit of a pause between verses 13 and 14. So let's then go to verse 14. Okay, a bit of time has passed. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she, so she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, satisfied and had some left. So time has passed, and he has uh, invited her to lunch. You know, part, one, of, one of the meanings of his name is swiftness, and I think he's moving rather quickly. Uh, Jay... <laughs> J. Vernon McGee uh, points out uh, this is the first time he's met Ruth and he's already asked her out to lunch. <laughs> you know, McGee, by personal experience, he believes that this was love at first sight for Boaz. And I'm pretty much in agreement with him. So then we have this, the owner of the field, the landowner, the man of importance. In a sense, he's the lord of the harvest. Uh, and he calls Ruth, this foreigner, a Moabitess, to his table. And this isn't just a meal. This is a picture. And it's a picture of fellowship at the table of honor. Notice what he offers her first. Bread and vinegar. What is vinegar? Sour wine. He offers, his, he offers her bread and wine very, at the very first. How interesting. This picture of grace here, though, it's important not to miss. We have Ruth, this foreigner from a nation who's been the enemy of Israel, 
And her only expectation was to be an outcast, to be ostracized, you know, to be looked down upon. upon. And she is elevated now to sit at the table of honor. And it states, this is very important, it states that Boaz is the one who served her the roasted grain. Notice the word is served. It's not offered. It wasn't this. It was this. Okay? And uh, the Hebrew word for serve here is sabat, T-S-A-B-A-T, sabat. It means to bring it to her with his own hands. And this is unique. Uh, Boaz literally takes the grain over to Ruth and uh, for her to eat. I say it's unique. This is the only time that this word occurs in the Old Testament. So this scene is just overflowing with grace. Yes, Porter? You may have covered this because you weren't here, but it's part of us that don't really understand how they felt about the Moabites. You know, they, they were just cousins, and they began through Lot. They did that. They just couldn't stand it. Right. It's a very... Right, absolutely. There's a very sordid history, a long history. These are enemies of the Jews, and they have a, their beginning is a very ugly story. Right, so you're, this, you're, you're seeing these, these are major barriers here. We're just reading the pages, but we're not, there's tension and drama that has built up to this point. Okay. So it is it's just overflowing with grace. Uh, you know, I'm reminded then of another instance where by grace, a crippled, forgotten, and seemingly insignificant person was sought out by a king and restored to sit at the king's table of honor. Actually, that king will be Boaz's great-grandson, King David. I'm speaking of Mephibosheth, who was the crippled son of Jonathan. He was the grandson of King Saul, and that made him a potential enemy for David. You just didn't do this back then. But 2 Samuel uh, tells us in uh, chapter 9, verses 5 through 8, Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lo-Debar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness, has said, to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? God's grace, you know, it's not only all-sufficient, it's exceedingly abundant. Ruth eats to her fill and has enough to bring to Naomi for later on. This is reminding us that grace goes beyond whatever we ask or think. And what we're learning of Ruth is that she does not linger. She does not linger. She's a self-starter. I'm just going to read the verse and we'll probably stop here. Uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, When she rose to glean, 
Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out of her, for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. I think we'll stop there for today. Come back and we'll discuss that next time. There's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I'm just enjoying uh, seeing these characters begin to develop and just the grace that is surrounding their interactions with each other. It's really neat, really neat. Rob, will you uh, close us in prayer, please?